from the Drudge Report. Um, they uh, they say the president is going to go basically on the war path with the pen and the and the uh, phone uh, for his last year, which I don't think bodes well for the country. I don't think it bodes well for trying to get people together. I think this is just going to <laughs> exacerbate what is already a bad situation. But one situation is never bad, never, never, never. It is when Luscious Lou is on the air, and she uh, provides us with the cigar of the week. Dale is in hog heaven. Uh, the stars have all aligned, and this has been a this has been a kind of. I mean, you have been busting. Well, I can't say that word. With, <laughs> uh, let's say you have been extraordinarily busy uh, this last four days, Luscious. What's up? I've been busting everybody else's though. So yeah, we had a great time Monday night. Yes, that was a good time, wasn't it? We had a nice turnout. Everybody came out to watch who, the game. and Who won the chili contest? It was a very, um, how should we describe the chili contest, Colonel? It was, it, was, it was between, it got down to two people. <laughs> yes, it did. And yes, they both it did. had white chicken chili, which was interesting. They were both very good. But Caleb won because he mm-hmm. layered about six or seven more layers than uh, than Kyle did, and they but they were both so good. There was none left. It was. It was very good. Very good. But uh, what a game! Oh man, what a game! We said, and here's what Lou did. Lou was here Saturday night late for football. Then she was. Then Sunday she had someone come in. Then Monday she was here real late for football. That game did end <clears> after midnight. And you know Tuesday she's here all day. Wednesday, she's here all day. And why is that? Where is John? He went and ran off to Nicaragua. <laughs> He's having a ball. They are. They're having a ball. Russ and uh, John are on the Perdomo tour this week. So having a great time in Nicaragua, smoking some good cigars, learning more about the process, and we, yards. And we, you know, as much as we kid and say, you know, what allows for taking off a few days, we've both done it. You did it last year. You actually headed up the tour to uh, the Don Papin. Mm-hmm. So we've been there. I was there the year before. And, of course, after we were there, they're not doing it anymore because why could they? How could they? I mean, once you've been there and I've been there, what's left? They're done. Yeah, they're done. We've seen it. So we sent it, we, we shipped John off to Perdomo, which is fine. He's on an extended tour, though, isn't he? Wasn't he supposed to be back uh, by the weekend? He, they left on Saturday. Saturday. So I believe the tour started okay. Sunday. Okay. I think it finishes up today and then he comes home tomorrow and then hopefully you will make up the out he will make up the hours on friday saturday this week uh he will be (laughs) definitely picking up some slack at the end of the week yes but it but it's a great experience and anybody if you ever get a chance to take a trip you love cigars you will have a huge admiration for cigars much more than you ever thought you could have if you get a chance and a lot of those times if you're lucky enough to get onto one of the trips like perdomo or uh some of the others, they're very inexpensive trips. You get a mm-hmm. world of experience. You learn because they always bring you in when the tobacco fields are at their at their fullest, and you you go through the whole process of the cigar from the fields to the to the curing barns to the actual packaging of the tobacco and the aging and the different the cold aging that some do and and you learn the whole and then you get to see the bunders and the rollers and the you realize that. Literally, for every single cigar that's a hand-rolled cigar, not Swisher, Sweets, or those other garbage things, but if you have a really, a real hand-rolled cigar, 300 to 350 pairs of hands 
in three years from the time that tobacco is, is harvested from the field to the time it gets into your hands. 350 sets of hands, and yet you're getting an incredible cigar for 10 to $15 in most cases. It's amazing what goes into it. And I used to hear people say, $10 for a cigar. Yeah. And after going to Nicaragua, I, I roasted them. <coughs> well, I think so many people feel like cigars are not a handmade product. They look All cigars that, that you carry, all premium cigars, look so perfect for the most part. Yes. And um, I don't think people realize that, you know, it's not a machine that's making these cigars. It is an actual... <laughs> Handmade product that a lot of work goes into. So Mixing up my ginger. Uh, we can't take you anywhere. <laughs> i got to mix up my ginger beer. Isn't that ginger beer awesome? It is good. Oh, you picked a winner there. Just the right bite at the end. The spice is fabulous on And those. talk about that. I mean, now you can get ginger beer, but there's a lot of other things you can get oh, at Cutters. Oh, yes. We have a very nice selection of uh, beer, wine, and spirits premium, to enhance your spirits. cigar smoking experience. So. Yeah, we've got a, a, since we have a limited selection, we tried to really make sure everything we brought in was top-notch, you know, really good stuff, so. And it's so neat to see, I've seen couples come in here, one couple came in, bought a premium bottle of wine, box of cigars, and a couple sat in the corner mm -hmm. and had a wonderful time. I've seen ladies coming in here, now a lot more ladies are coming in here having a glass of wine with their cigar. It's just, it's an incredible, it's, it's great to see the evolution. It is, and if you've never seen one of the, uh, Enomatic wine machines. <laughs> Definitely get in here and check it out. You, you buy a wine card, so you load it with you know X number of dollars, whatever you want to put on it, and you can do. We have 16 wines, three uh, whites. The rest are all reds. So you can do a sampling pour. Two ounce. To, uh, a, it's a one ounce. Sam one ounce sampling pour, uh, half a glass, <laughs> or you can do a full glass. So you can check out a lot of different things and land on one you like and and the way the machine works is it preserves the for the wine yes it, uh, it use a yes. pressurization or an oxygenation system it's uh nitrogen. nitrogen so it's a food grade nitrogen preservation system so the bottles get filled as soon as you load it it, it automatically sucks out all the oxygen replaces it with nitrogen keeps the wine preserved so it always tastes just as fresh as it would when you crack open the and bottle. And it has a 30-day. Yeah, uh, a, a lot of people don't realize if you go into a bar or something and they're not pouring a lot of that wine, but they've already opened the bottle, oof. it could sit on that shelf for a week, two weeks, and just Yeah, they likely didn't back. open that bottle for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah. now you can have it taste just like you cracked open the bottle for 30 days. Let me tell you, the way I've seen the, the wine consumption here, um, those bottles don't sit there very long they don't sit there 30 days no we're rolling through them we're as it should and, and and what's really neat now we've had it now for what a couple good couple three weeks we've had big events small events and just regular every day and the more and more i see people in enjoying the the fine spirits it, it has been done in what is what we call the setonian way there hasn't been anyone getting outrageous this is a classy place where there is great respect for the spirit and the cigar. That's what it is to complement the cigar. It's not a bar. Guys, gals, if you're looking for a bar, Wild Wings is down the road. There's a thousand bars in Atlanta you can go to. But if you want to truly meet wonderful people under classy, classy setting, this is a place to come and enjoy the celebration of spirits and cigars. 
Absolutely. Everyone has been very well behaved. I've been very pleased with that. And uh, every, everyone's respecting our you know, model for what we're trying to do. It, it's always going to be about the cigars. And uh, this is just one more way for us to enhance that experience for well, you. Well, speaking of cigars and enhancing the yes. experience, Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley. In honor of our Alec Bradley event, we've got this Friday night from 6 to <clears> 10. I thought we would pull out the uh, Alec Bradley Sanctum Toro, which was Cigar Aficionado's number 15 Cigar of the Year this Very year. Very nice. Yes, indeed. Alec Bradley's so, a great company. It is. <clears throat> it is. Um We've really amped up our Alec Bradley offering here in the last few months and uh, are excited to have an event with Chris this Friday. He's our new rep for the area. He's been doing the job, I would say, about six months or so, and he's really been great. We've enjoyed uh, getting to know him and learning more about that line and bringing in some of their new things. And uh, this is one I think you're going to really like, Colonel. It um, starts out with a little blast of spice when you light it up but it, it smooths into right now I'm, I'm about an inch into mine and it's just it's really buttery and creamy perfect burn yeah oh it's burning yeah absolutely yeah, great amazing absolutely great and uh we'll also be featuring this friday there's another new cigar that they have come out with called post embargo the graphics for this cigar are beautiful it's it's to represent the the new relations between uh the u.s and cuba and the graphics are just fabulous, and it's a more full-bodied cigar. So the, Alec Bradley really has something for everyone. If you're looking for something on the milder end all the way up to a really full, spicy stick, you can definitely find something in that line. So we'll have some great deals Friday night. And, uh, Unfortunately, I will be in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Oh, Colonel, Colonel, Colonel. What do you have to do up there? Uh, I'm doing some cooking demos at uh, the brand-new Harris Teeter. Uh, on, on the other show that I do, Chef and a Fat Man. And speaking of that, we had a great event here Saturday. Mm -hmm. Standing room only. It oh, was my packed. goodness. There was barely any standing room. <laughs> Everybody wanted to see what Chef Eric was cooking and try that out. Yeah, well, we, had a, we had a great crowd in here for that. It was a great show. And, you know, another uh, part of the wonderful things about coming into Cutters is the unique and strange individuals. Yes, strange indeed. One of the unique individuals. <laughs> he, he comes from Philadelphia and... Uh, he has, uh, he has, uh, he's been very generous with, with his product. And, you know, we have Jay in the bow tie life. He's really, he's really celebrates bow ties. Now I've got Kev in the smoothie life. And yep. uh, he has this great beverage called Fruve, F-R-U-V-E, but the U has a little dot in it. I'm sure there's some significance there. I haven't, I haven't really figured out what that is. But he has 15 servings. This is what's unique. 15 servings of fruits and veggies in every one of his beverages, and they add no sugar. So it's got the creaminess. There's no junk in it. It's got the cream, creaminess. It's got the smoothness. Now, this is a cranberry apple orchard premium smoothie. Uh, it's in a beautiful container, and, you know, they don't add sugar. And most of the f smoothies that I've had, it is so sugar-forward, it's sickening sweet. They use only natural sugars that come from the fruits and the veggies that they put in here. Yep. And it has awesome. great flavor. I mean. Well, most bottles you would get that size. You, The first time I looked on the uh, nutritional information, I expected to see, you know, 150 calories per serving. In this case, it's 150 calories is the most that I've seen in any of the blends for the entire bottle. 
which is 20 so, ounce. Yeah. I mean, no lightweights. It, it can definitely fit into all our healthy lifestyles for our New Year's resolutions. And if, you, if you're at a CVS that doesn't carry it, demand it. Demand it. Because CVS is, one of the, is, is the first major organization that I know of that's picked it up on a large scale. They're, they're opening up 450 stores. They're going to be rolling out the Fruve. And it's called Fruve, F-R-U-V-E. Look it up online. Uh, 15, it's 150 calories in this one, 100% of the 12 vitamins that's needed, 15 servings of fruits and veggies, no sugar added. Uh, the cranberry apple orchard is the one that's here. And so, uh, you know, hats off to Kev, and, and uh, it's, it's a great product. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it is absolutely delicious. I even tried the one I didn't think I would ever try is the green one. Cause I, I love that one. The green, I have an aversion to green veggies, period. It's actually very good. They're good mm -hmm. for you. Apple, kiwi, all kinds of good green stuff in there. Thank God it wasn't. Not to mention he has the best hair of <laughs> oh, anyone know. in the I know. Uh, I know. smoothie business, I'm sure. Yeah, he's got the great hair, but let me tell you something. He gels it. He gels it. I mean, hair is not hair if when you step out in the wind, <laughs> it looks exactly the same as if you're sitting in a cigar store. Yes, yeah. this was about See, your hair. See, he ran all the way across. Not a hair is out of place. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what gel he's using. It's an industrial. <laughs> industrial. There we go. Yeah, but uh, great job on the on the smoothies, and uh, great job on the Alec Bradleys. It's uh, it's it, this looks like a tremendous cigar. I can hardly wait to try it. The Alec Bradley Sanctum. I've got a. Of course, I'm. Smoking the uh, Yeah, you've got about three hours left on that one. There's a little berry almost in this. Yes, indeed. There's He's a getting nice, quite a palate. He is. There's a nice fruit note. Nice fruit note in the beginning. Not so we've heavy. got the event on Friday. Uh-huh. Then our 10. next big event that we have is on the 28th. We've got an Ashton Symmetry event, which is also going to be a uh, scotch pairing night. We're doing an around-the-world scotch and beer pairing to go with the Symmetry. So we have four different scotches. Uh, we've got a Japanese scotch, a Taiwanese scotch, um, a couple others that I'm not exactly sure where they're from. Um, and then uh, we have a beer that is also going to be paired so that'll be a fun night that i'm not sure what the ticket cost is going to be for that event just yet but it'll be a ticketed event and um you're gonna the, let me the tell symmetry you is just phenomenal it's a phenomenal cigar any ticketed event that you have at cutters you're going to get three to four times the value mm -hmm, definitely. of whatever you spend i mean that's that's Lou's way the satonian way of russ sutton it's you give back much more than you take and uh so it's uh, it's great and luscious. You have made Dale's day. You know you haven't got to shout out to Dale here recently. So hi, Dale. Oh God. Oh man. Oh man. Well, there you <laughs> go, Dale. And uh, I've got a care package going to Dale. Um, he sent me his wife Brenda does these incredible chocolate chip cookies, which oh. I will not share at all with anybody at Cutters. Yum. He sends me a whole tin of them. I give one or two to the beast. And then I consume the rest of the. Good I admit for you. It. And so he said, "Well, since I since Brenda sent you those, I expect your your great uh, oatmeal raisin. No, no, you don't. You don't try to best the best. I mean, the cookies are amazing. I look forward. The only reason I'm friends with Dale to this day because we we go back to high school, which that's not important. The years, it's just we go back to high school. <laughs> and uh, 
we were best friends in, in junior high and in the starting of high school. And to this day, the only reason we're still friends after all these years is Brendan or cookies. You, you got to hold on to you, those Yeah, you got to hold on to it every Christmas, man, every Christmas. So That's great. Thank you so much, Dale, and, and thanks, Brenda, and a, a great shout-out. And you've got a package that should get there tomorrow, I'm assuming, or uh, Friday. Is Dale Aardvark, too? Yes. Okay. He um, He's online right now, and he says, Happy New Year to Lou. Happy New Year. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, Dale, I'm glad you've got a private office. That's all I'm going to say. All right. All right. Because because he's got to have it because all the people that try to bother him every Of day. course. Yes. That's what I'm thinking of, Lou. I don't know what you're thinking of. But anyway, uh, Cutter Cigar Emporium right here on Windward Parkway in Alpharetta. Uh, the Fruve is leaving the house, and uh, he wants to get out there in the wind and see if he can get one of the hairs to move. You know, <laughs> it I, won't move. It, 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 it's not going to happen. But... Uh, Lou, as always, thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome, You're guys. the manager here, and you, you always take time out when you're in in, in the store, which, which is uh, more than you're at home. But, yes, uh, it is. We thank you so much and, and appreciate your, your kindness. And and no I'm problem, guys. Enjoy the scars. Friday night, 6 Friday to 10. Friday night, 6 to 10. Come in and enjoy what we're enjoying right now. Oh, absolutely. Alec Bradley Sanctum. Well, Greek. You need to try. I'm going to. I'm going to try it here in a little while. Um all right, now we're going to get something that's really bothered me in the last week, okay? And I blame Donald Trump for this. I think he was one that really brought it to the forefront, but I think which is absolutely asinine and ludicrous. I don't mind Trump. I mean, I think he's done some things that have been very good, and I've said that. I, he is not my favorite candidate, obviously, and it's no, no secret. I came out for him right from the get-go. He's been Ted Cruz. And just as he starts to get a little traction going everything else, here comes Trump. He doesn't say anything bad about Trump. He doesn't say what Trump said. Well, I'm never going to say anything bad about people. I'm never going to cause any, any consternation unless they come and attack me. And uh, Cruz has never attacked you, Mr. Trump. He's never come out against you. This birther crap, this nationalization crap that he started, and, of course, he started it, and they picked up on it. The media picked up on it. Of course, anything that's going to try to bring down somebody like Cruz you know, my friends, <clears throat> we talked about it earlier. It's, the, it's what I call the Houdini or the sleight of hand or the ridiculousness where you put a shiny object up there and you raise your right hand, you get everybody looking at it all the time, you're swapping things down below, and all you're doing is fluffing. You are falling right into the hands of the willing media. <coughs> you are condemning your own party candidate, another candidate who's got a very excellent record. You're, you're getting him all confused. And it's, you know, this has never been an issue. The only people that have ever brought it up before he did was wackos on the left. And I got to tell you, so let me make it real simple for you. You can go back to the Naturalization Act of 1790, which went into effect March 26, 1790, and be, Section 3, and be it further enacted that the children of persons duly naturalized, dwelling within the United States and being under the age of 21 years at the time of such naturalization, and the children of citizens of the United States born out of the limits and jurisdiction of the United States shall be considered as citizens of the United States, provided that the right of citizenship shall not descend to persons whose fathers have never been residents of the United States. 
Then you went to the Natural Nationality Act of 1802, 1906, 1940, 1952, and as much as 1990. And the latest is Section 8 U.S. Code 1401, Nationals and Citizens of the United States at Birth. A person born, Section C again, a person born outside the United States and its outlying possessions of parents, both of whom are citizens of the United States, and they were, and one of whom has had a residence in the United States or one of its outlying possessions prior to the birth of such a person, which his mother did, that's it. It's over. That's enough. It was enough for Obama, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And John his, McCain? And actually, there, if you want to get right down to it, there was an issue because until 19, I think it was 1965, because that was another change, he was born right before the part about her living in the United States for five years. So there was, there was a technicality there that they could have. But no, enough, enough of this birther issue. But to try to tag this down, and then Trump, when he's brought, well, I don't know if he is or he isn't. John McCain, well, I don't know if he is or he is. John McCain had the same issue, but he said, well, I was born on a military base, and that makes a difference. No, it doesn't, John. Sorry, you are no different than any other person born outside of the country. You have the criteria. The criteria was what it was. But then Trump goes and says, well, you should go to court, and you should have them make a finding. And you can't do that, Mr. Trump. Obviously, you don't know the legal system. You can't just go and expect a court to do that. They're not going to do it. They're not going to find for anything. They're not going to get involved in it. So this is just once again, he keeps it up and he keeps it up. And he figures if he can throw enough stuff out there, it's going to bring Cruz down. I, I, I think he does this just more as an irritant than, than something he actually believes, don't you? I, I, don't, I think he's too smart for that. I, I think he does it just to... To have something else that the media can can talk about, he does a great job of keeping uh, of, of keeping it fresh. You know, it's always every week there's something different, and uh, it never gets. I, I guess now it's I just was fresh meat. It, every week is something new and it, um, fresh meat for the media to to consume and keep his name at the forefront. Well, you know, no matter how outrageous, when Hillary came out and said, "Well, I'm bringing out the big guns. I'm bringing out my husband," is that admitting that she's not a big gun? Obviously. Um, you know, she's desperate. She is very desperate. We can get into the greater desperation because now she's trying out her daughter now to beat up on Bernie Sanders. I mean, she's actually ripping into Bernie Sanders now, which she heretofore has kind of stayed away from because she's tried to elevate herself. But now uh, she's losing by five points in, in one of the states, Iowa, or New Hampshire, and the other one she's losing by 15 to Bernie. Now this is becoming serious. And now in conjunction with the FBI now expanding the search to include the Clinton Foundation and possible money there with the new email that they found where she directed her people how to cheat the system and send uh, confidential material uh, or could be TS material. It doesn't make any difference. You take the, you wash the heading, then they can send it out. So she teated, taught them how to subvert the system. I mean, it just goes on and on. And now it's looking, as we said, Greek, I'll bet we could go back and look in as soon as the email scandal came out, we were the first ones to say, that's it. I don't think she'll live to see the, the nomination. Uh, she certainly won't get it. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm not prepared to go that far. I, I, I still think she's going to get it. I, I don't think that you're going to see the, this Justice Department act, uh, in, unless there's some, unless there's some ulterior motive that they, they're just waiting till they have enough to really just drop the hammer on her so they can bring in Joe Biden. I, I don't think that th this administration is willing to sacrifice the election 
to the Republicans. They, they've got to have somebody else waiting in the wings. I'm not sure that this administration is in the Bernie Sanders camp either. If, if there is some, some master plan in place in terms of their timing for, uh, for bringing charges against her, then the most logical person to have waiting in the wings would be to, uh, to draft Joe Biden, who, who you know, indicated last week that he regrets every day his decision. Was that sort of an indication? You know, when he gave the speech uh, about not getting into the race, the speech sounded a, a lot more like a guy that was running than a guy that was not running. I mean, he laid out his vision and, uh, and then said, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, w was he saying it in, in a way so that it, it would drafted. leave himself open <coughs> if, if the party came to him because for the, you know, for the good of the country to Let's make see. him look even better? Is the party going to reach out to him if they've got Bernie Sanders? Because right now Bernie Sanders has got a lot of – he's got the big mo going for him. Hillary's crumbling. And do they snub Bernie and reach out to Joe? Well, Bernie's not a Democrat. Well, he is, I know he's not, but he is running as a Democratic candidate. And they would have to – and quite frankly, he would lose a lot if Biden jumped in that were Democrats that were voting for him. Well, I think he has the same problem that Ted Cruz has. Um, he's not part of the establishment, and, and Joe Biden certainly is. Does the establishment feel more comfortable with Joe Biden, or do they take a chance on a loose candidate? I, I think, personally, I think that he would be a very ineffective president. He's not going to get you know, the vast majority of what he wants passed through. Um, and I don't think he's going to play... Uh, play nice or, or, you know business as usual would probably take a hit i think that they would feel more comfortable with a guy like oh Biden. absolutely they would but i think the democratic party by embracing him have hurt their chances now because you know when joe said no they said okay now if he just decides at the last minute then by accepting biden they're tossing bernie sanders onto the trash heap and i don't think they're ready to do that well is he does, does he bring that much to their party so so why not toss him on the trash heap? He, he's he's old anyway. He's not going to be around that much Careful longer. Careful how you used old. Oh, he's okay. He, he's, he's so he's older than me. The seasoned citizen. <laughs> yes, he is. But and here's the thing too: the latest polls. And it's came not out. like the Democrats are lacking for any other socialists in their rank and file. So no. you, you just retire him, and there's more to take his place. Well, you know, Bernie has been running around with Elizabeth Warren. You know, that's she's she's another dark horse. I don't think that they could draft her and she's got the oh, no. No, no, enough no. time, but she would make a very strong vice presidential. That's pick. why Bernie Sanders has been has been kind of, you know, uh, been seen with her around town. But here's the thing with Elizabeth Warren. OK, the American, the Native American. Uh, you Pocahontas. Know, yeah, Pocahontas. I mean, here's a gal who's who's a liar, too. I don't know what it is, what it is about this party the Democratic Party that just loves people that lie. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, Bill Clinton lied on numerous occasions. And, I mean, scandals. What is it they all got? It's like you can't be a candidate unless you've got a good scandal uh, brewing around you. And, I mean, for instance, you know the latest polls are showing that Hillary is actually losing the women's vote right now. To who? Uh, to Bernie Sanders. Oh, and, and, on yeah, the Democratic side. Yeah, on the Democratic side. And Trump is gaining support women Hispanics, I mean, talking numbers that, of course, once again, you have to believe the polls. And I'll tell you what, Greg, I don't I, buy into them. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't buy that she's losing the women's vote. Um, 
as much as maybe they're trying to hype it, I still think that she's probably got that that sewn up. I, I think there's a lot of people who are going to vote for her, a lot of females that are going to vote for her based on her gender alone. But there are a lot of women, and it's it, it's it's warming my heart to see it. But a lot of them are sick of it. They're sick of Hillary. They're sick of all the things that she's done, especially with this latest stuff. And this poll just came out within the last few days where she was actually losing the women's vote. And well, there were because a lot of there's a lot of women out there that, you know, that really do care about table issues, kitchen table issues. They care about something other than genitalia. Of course there are. And I think there are also, though, a great number of women who don't, who, who, who have done their due diligence and realize that she doesn't really represent what they envision or, or see as, as a great role model for, for women or for a strong woman. Here's a woman who every time she gets in trouble, every time she's backed into a corner with one of her scandals, well, she, she, she falls down and, and, uh, and, and relies on her hu the strength of her husband. And may I remind you, we promised we would And, do and that's the show. same husband who tr basically treated her like crap. And trashed women throughout his whole life. Right. So just a reminder for those of you who love history, who may not be as old as I am, we can go all the way back to the council, the House Judiciary Committee at the time of Nixon's impeachment. Uh, the head of the council, who was a lifelong Democrat, fired her, basically. Now, there are conflicting stories, but it boils down to my only regret was, this is a direct quote of his, my only regret was, I had not reported her unethical practices to the appropriate bar associations. I could not recommend her for any subsequent position of public or private trust. He supposedly stepped that back <coughs> later on. But he made those statements. Then you got Filegate. You remember Filegate? 900 former Reagan and Bush appointees were sent over to the White House Security Chief Craig Livingstone. There's another name blast of the past. Deputy White House Counsel William Kennedy, close friend of Hillary Clinton's from their days at the Rose Law Firm frequently call up the FBI and has someone filed sent over on say-so, on say-so, which is not right. The FBI Director Louis Free called it an egregious violation of privacy. Cattle Futures Gate, she had $1,000. Nine months later, she had $100,000. She claimed she had learned how to trade by reading the Wall Street Journal. Okay, then there's Travelgate. We go up to 1993. Hillary Clinton wrote an infamous note demanding action to get our people into the White House Travel Office. Billy Dale, its director, and six of his employees were quickly fired on the basis of rumors that they had engaged in criminal conduct. The rumors were cooked up in part by the 25-year-old cousin of Bill Clinton's who wound up running the travel office. Dale was indicted on charges of embezzling $88,000 from the office. Jurors took but two hours to acquit him of all charges. Hillary Clinton refused an interview request from the General Accounting Office about her role in the affair. The late New York Times columnist Bill Sapphire concluded that Travelgate that Hillary Clinton was a congenital liar. Then there's Whitewatergate. The tangled web of Bill and Hillary Clinton's water, Whitewater real estate dealings in Arkansas prompted Attorney General Janet Reno to appoint a special prosecutor to investigate. Jim McDougal, the Clinton business partner, who actually went to jail over Whitewater, famously described the Clintons as a sort of tornadoes moving through people's lives. And uh, that's just the first part. We'll have the next part next week. Uh, to remind you of the scandals in this woman, she has been so entrenched and involved between her and her husband, her husband in the sexual scandals, her in, and uh, don't worry, my friends, we're going to bring back some names, some blasts from the past and future shows about Bill Clinton's dalliances. Now, just one of those should make you say, 
you're not going to run. What is it about them, though, that keeps their persona at the forefront of the Democratic Party and, and the, uh, to, to where they're still, 20 years later, the darlings of the party? What is it about them that makes, uh, that, that makes them so strong? Bill Clinton. That's exactly. it. Exactly. It's not her. I, w- without him, he, she, she's oh, she would never, relegated she wouldn't have run to the, first the scrap, ha- scrap heap of history a long time ago. Yeah, well, it's just her scandals alone that she was involved in. Um, but Bill Clinton has always been like John Gotti, the Teflon Don. He was the Teflon president. No matter what you throw at him, no matter what he does wrong, until they absolutely had the semen-soaked dress, that's the only way they caught him. And if he hadn't, if they hadn't found that, we would still, we would still be hearing the fact he didn't do anything. And it still, <laughs> it, it didn't affect his um, his popularity by the time he left office. Because they spun it so beautifully, it's his personal life. It's his personal life. What happens in his personal life is not fair. But but people were better off back then, so they they didn't tend to care. Uh, <laughs> Great point. You know the the economy was rolling along, um, but then again. You have to remember how his presidency ended. Once, once the bubble broke or burst, the economy went into recession. And, As uh, they knew it would. And, and of course it did. And, and but <coughs> you look at the cooperation between him and Newt Gingrich that brought about a lot of what he's credited for. And, uh, and I have to say, the media's been friendly towards him. They, they, they don't talk about that cooperation. They talk more about the, the successes of Bill Clinton. In many ways, Bill Clinton is the Ronald Reagan of their party. Yes, he is. And, I mean, please... With no disrespect to Mr. You know, President Reagan, but uh, <clears throat> no, it's an important point to remember. He is their shining star. Like you said, we refer to Reagan as our shining star. They refer to Bill Clinton. And if you look at Bill Clinton, he was he was really a good he was a good president in as much as he was someone who could. He was pragmatic. He was he uh, <laughs> finger in the wind type of a guy. He he could get a sense of what what the people wanted and he was willing to go with it and he was willing to work with Gingrich and that was the crowning jewel that made his success and I'll bet you historians will look back years after he's gone and say that Newt Gingrich was the best thing that happened to Bill Clinton because Bill Clinton took advantage of it and Gingrich was smart enough to work things out with him and they both regardless of what you want to talk about you know you talk about a personal life that's the only thing that got Gingrich on was his personal life uh, now, you can't do that about the president. It's okay. But on Gingrich, it wasn't because he was the evil. But he did so many things that historians will look at and say that Newt Gingrich did a lot to help this country at a very significant time, and him and Bill Clinton made great partners. Yeah, and we don't have that cooperation anymore. No, it's gone. But we have too many ideologues that are uh, in positions of power now in both parties. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you got Paul Ryan already talking about Getting together with uh, with the president on on that on that comprehensive uh, judicial bill, really. I mean, Paul, my friends, well, the whole that, idea that would be, be cooperation, wouldn't it be? It would be cooperation, but I've seen the I've seen some of the things in the bill. That's not cooperation. I mean, if you're really that concerned about about but, guns, then you don't decrease the mandatory penalties. You don't you no. don't make it less and then on top of that you give people who are in there under those laws you give them time served i mean it's 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 craziness my friends you first of all the whole idea is of being the opposition party 
is to present your strong views. The president brings his strong views. And then you sit down and you hash out a compromise. This rhino-backed, whether it's Paul Ryan, who I'll tell you what, I, I'm, not, I'm not sold on him at all yet. But their, the rhino's idea of compromise is what do the Democrats want? What will the president sign? That's what we'll present. And then we're going to call that compromise. Rush Limbaugh talked about that this morning. Um, and uh, he, he was talking about the Republican response to the State of the Union uh, given by the South Carolina governor, Haley Barber. Um, no, not Haley Barber. Uh, 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 Haley. Yeah. Nikki uh, Haley. N- yeah, Haley. Um, his his uh, analogy was to the Ronald Reagan um, evil empire speech where Reagan said, you can't be willing to say in some situations that both parties bear a share of the blame, as she did last night. Uh, he said there are times when there is a definite right and wrong. And I- in, the, uh, in the speech, the evil empire speech, he was making the point that we have fought the good fight. We have been on the side of justice right. and right and, and, and freedom for the world. And we don't need, I- for the sake of making progress, we don't need to say, well, we were part of the problem, too. No, we were the solution, and we stuck by our guns, and we're going to see it through. Um, I think that the Republicans, uh, th- those in power right now, are too quick now to, to say, well, you know, it's, uh, it's both of our problems. We, we have to share the burden of, of responsibility here, where the voices that appeal to me are more like the Ted Cruz type that are saying, no, we have a vision of where we need to be, and we don't need to to vary from that. We, right, we, like he told we need to make we need to make the case to the American people why we think this way, and try to convince them that this is the the right path to take. Exactly like Ted Cruz did with that DACA lady. You know, instead of saying, "Well, you know, we can look at each case individually," no, you're wrong. You broke the law. You've got to go home. That's and you know of course then they're saying oh my God the Grinch is still Christmas he wants to he wants to round them all up and send them home and you know he's going to do all. The- so in other words, like you you so eloquently mentioned earlier, okay let's let's say that uh, if we're going to let all the Im- illegals stay, then uh, what happens when l- millions of people don't want to pay their taxes? Exactly, we're going to round them all up. You're going to arrest them? No, of course not. Oh yes, you will because that's money. It's money coming in. It'd be a tough time arrest if if you had a movement like a, a, a groundswell of a like like a grassroots movement like the Tea Party was mm-hmm. a few years ago, and you had literally millions of small business owners who are the tax collectors for the government, mm-hmm. you know, deciding yeah, we're not going to we're just not we're not going to file we're not going to pay our taxes. Sure, the first couple they're going to be the sacrificial dogs. They're going to be the ones that get shut down. But what happens when when ten become ten thousand and ten thousand become ten million? Are you they got a round major problem on, on your hands. Are they going to round them all up? No. Well, we, well, be, well, are you going to use the same logic that you use with the illegal aliens? Well, there's 10 million or there's 20 million. You can't round up all those people. Well, you make the same point for the people that aren't paying their taxes. Well, I, that's why I love what Cruz And you're absolutely right, Greek. The difference between the Democrats and the Republicans, the rhinos that are running right now want to share the blame that the American people are throwing on them. But... They want to share the blame by saying, well, we didn't have a choice because he wasn't going to sign it anyway. 
we didn't have the presidency, so no matter what we do, so we got to do something to try to act like we're getting something done. So the Democrats sit back and say, okay, this is what we want, and this is what we, we need. And if you don't give it to us, uh, we're going to shut down the government. Go ahead, shut down the government. Go ahead and try that because the media, our media will be all over you. You'll lose your elections. You'll lose everything, and that's not true. It's never been proven to be true. They shut down the government in 2013 and 2014. What did they do? They turned right around and got the biggest. They got more people in the House. They got they they took over the Senate and they had the biggest numbers that they've had since the since. So it's it's but even nonsense. with that, even with that, they do a terrible job of pleading their case. It wasn't until last week that they actually put something on the president's desk to make him veto it with regards to Obamacare. And this is something going back a year that we've been saying they should have been doing all along. Just stack his desk with, with things that he has to veto. Then you make your case to the American people. We are working in Congress. We are getting things done. We're putting bills on the president's desk. He's vetoing them. We represent the people. He's saying no. Who is the obstructionist? That's exactly right. Exactly right. So Paul Ryan throws those couple of things out there as tokens. Then he turns right around and him and the president, he hawn, taking photo ops together as we're going to go ahead and uh, take a, a look at, at uh, substantial uh, law and order issues. I, I, I mean, it just sickens me. And you're so right. There is right and there is wrong. I don't care if you're the only one that sees the right in it. Stand by it. Be right it almost, and don't make excuses for being right it, it almost if you're if you're uh, a conspiracy theorist it almost makes you believe that there's some type of uh arrangement or understanding well we won't stack these bills on the president's desk we won't make him look bad we'll just keep talking about what we want to do we'll keep talking about the things that are wrong and what should be changed whereas i think they have a wonderful opportunity when they have both houses of congress to say we represent the people this is what the people are telling us they want. This is the legislation that comes out of their desire for change, the change they want. Now the president has to decide whether or not he wants to go along with listening to the voice of the people, Congress, or being the, the real party of no and, 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 and vetoing the legislation. I think you, you miss a, a great opportunity right now to make that case, and they're not doing it. Well, and, and you know, this go along to get along Go along to get along. That's that's nonsense. That accomplishes nothing. And you've got to stand on principle. You've got to bury the president in, in and you've got to use all the tools that are given to you by the Constitution. You have the power of the purse string. Use it. Use it. You have that power. And when McConnell and Boehner stood there on the day after their election and said, We're not going to shut down the government, then you're telling the Democrats they win. You're not, you're not going to use a very important and very uh, uh, effective tool um, because, as you say, they have the purse strings. And, and when they did shut down the government, it only helped them. It didn't hurt them. They listen too much, I think, to the media, and they become paranoid. Yes, and the media loves it because it gives them a sense of self-worth. Well, it gives them a great uh, feeling of power that they become the um, – they become the power brokers here, and, and they can, and they can form policy based on what, uh, what how they report things. It's a, it's 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 really a sad state of affairs when you think about it, because um, we have a country that's faced with tremendous challenges in in future years and future generations. We've got a a, a workforce, we've got a a way of life actually that that is changing. 
we have jobs now that are being consolidated. Things that um, that used to require 20 people now require one. Um, manufacturing continues to be moved offshore, not only because it's cheaper over there, but because as people in America become more educated, um, they w they have less and less a desire to actually work those jobs. The two things go hand in hand. And if we don't have a Congress working together to understand these changes and put policy in place that can adapt to these changes, we're going to have a rough, rough road ahead. And it's only, yeah, it's only going to get rougher unless we get a good conservative in Washington in the in the White House. We have to have vision. We have to look 30 years ahead. We have to we have to even maybe look 50 years ahead, and and not deny the changes that are going on, but understand how we need to adapt and cope with them, so that we can continue to prosper. I I, I you know I, there are some types of manufacturing that I think should be brought back to the United States, but a lot of what's left. I think uh, in a world economy, you can't expect to hold on to. If, 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 if you need cheap labor in order to, to produce something like an iPhone, then it's, it, it makes economic sense to produce it overseas. But, the, we, but, but we're, we have to make sure that we're retraining those people to go into careers where they can have a future and, and, and still have a viable middle class. Uh, maybe it's not going to be like it was in the 50s where you have a strong blue-collar middle class, but we need to do more like, well, it's a smaller country, but like Ireland was able to do with their economy and transition people into new white-collar middle-class jobs. Well, it, times are changing, but they've changed throughout they history. Have. We didn't have, we didn't have, we were an agrarian society until the 1880s. Yeah. And, and even, you know, we were really an agrarian society, if you think about it, until probably after World War II. You know, a lot of the kids that fought in World War II came from farms. Yep. And when they came back from the war and they had seen the world and they had seen uh, the, the type of equipment and, and the machinery that, that was being produced and what they were using on a daily basis in the war, they didn't want to go back to the farms. They wanted to get involved in those industries. So you had a giant shift to, to the cities and then suburbs, of course, grew out of those cities. But it, there the, the, the big shift, the major shift, from an agrarian society didn't really come until the last 75 years. And the thing is, we were always willing to adapt. People were always willing to change and, and adapt to new things. It's just, you know, yes, the times are changing. Yes, things are changing. Yes, it's tough. I get that. But you know what? It's always been that way. Every generation, as you pointed out, has had to deal with it. We're having to deal with it. But you don't deal with it by creating less jobs you don't do you don't you don't create you don't help people by giving out these H-1B visas, and then academia, who's a big blood sucker on uh, federal money and and state money, they turn around and they get all these waivers where they can bring in thousands and thousands and thousands of people under H-1 visas that don't count against the eighty-five thousand that they're trying to up it for. To me, you shut down. I mean, you significantly reduce the H-1B visas. And you, what you do is you start making, if you want education, then we're going to educate you and make it easier to get education in the areas like engineering. Well, that's or, exactly. And you know what? There are tons of people that are looking for plumbers, guys to run machines. I've talked to a, I talked to a guy that owns his own rather large company in Norcross. He said, man, I've brought in so many people to, to train them at a good starting rate. And 
they're not after in less than a year they're tired of it because it's too hard it's too much work it's too much time they would rather do something else okay well, well, then something else is not sitting on unemployment. No, and we can't make it easier and easier for these people to sit around. Um, what, what we really need to do with the education system, getting back to what you just mentioned, um, you don't need to be on the campaign trail promising free education for kids to go to college to do anything that feels good, and they wind up getting an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree in uh, art or um, poetry or something ridiculous yes. like that or greek greek philosophy you know if, if you want um well here's a great example the medical profession or the healthcare industry in general let's say you want to drive costs down flood the market with healthcare workers flood the market with 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 medical professionals that that are more doctors more nurses Put put people put put more and more people to work in those industries, and you're going to drive the cost down. That's simple economics. But what you're doing instead is you're driving up the cost of health care. So as peeping are, people are getting out instead of coming in, which is another fallacy of this of the Affordable Care Act. It is absolutely the opposite. It is what a lot of economists were saying before it happened. This is what's going to happen, folks. It ain't going to get better. But but the president stood there and Nancy Pelosi stood there and people want they said what they wanted to hear style over substance the substance is what kills you every doctor that i know personally over the age of 50 my age and above when you talk to them in a private setting they're what what they're looking towards their future they're not looking or they're not expressing an interest in learning what's on the horizon in terms of the medical uh, science part of the field. They're talking about looking for their parachute, their way out. 50-year-old guys now, right now, are looking, you know, I want to be out of this in five years or 10 years. They're not talking about, well, I'm looking into research that 10 years from now is going to provide a new procedure or a new way of, or, or, or a new theory on, on a cure for something. They're all talking about, I'm looking to feather my nest right now in a way that I can jump off this ship in five to ten years. Because it's crashing down around them, yeah. and they see the cost exploding. They're making less money. I mean, look at the all-vaunted British system. 50,000 doctors and nurses went out on strike for a day in England. Why? Because they're not getting enough money. And you know what? When you've got, when you've got free health care, that's what inevitably happens. Someone's got to pay the bills. And they said, well, everybody loves it over there. I don't know many people that love it over there. I have talked to a lot of people from England. When I was over there, it was they, they started to see what was happening. And the lines were already ridiculous. How many people said, I'm not going to the doctor. I don't, I don't have the time. You know, I'm not going to. I, I can't make an appointment. And people with serious heart conditions, six months. Really? If that was your mom or dad, would you want them to wait six months? This is what's happening. Death panels, it all comes around, my friends. It's all part of the same apple. You're biting that same apple. So they present the apple all shiny to you, and they say, look, it's going to be free. You keep your own doctor. Everything's going to be great. And nobody Everything. worries about it when they're healthy. No. And, no, and, and so we're going to take, you're going to erode your choice. We're going to erode your freedoms, and we're going to suck you in, and we're going to suck you in. And pretty soon the government controls the military, the government controls the health care, the government controls your freedom on guns, the government's incrementally, under socialism, under the progressive movement, they do nothing but strip you of your rights. And it all starts with education. Yep. It's, Perfect it, example. It they own it. It starts at a very young age 
with the education system. I, I'm shocked to see what, what high school kids are not learning in school today as opposed to, um, to what, what, what we learned just you know, a generation ago. Gender uh, identification. The gender identification system be taught mandatorily out in California as of January 1. Give me a break. So now we're going to take a whole, however much time out of every day or to how many hours a week when they could be learning STEM subjects, where they could be learning things that are going to help them, we're going to make them learn gender identification system. How can you self-identify what gender you are? Oh, my God. I mean, how crazy is that? Is it a problem for the vast majority of people? I don't know. It's ne it was never <laughs> a problem growing up. I mean, you know, if you're an innie, you go to the one restroom. If you're an outie, you go to the other. That's basically it. Well, but, but <laughs> you know, I guess you just know. God. <laughs> Kelly Walsh in the second grade, man, she sat in front of me, and I knew what I liked. <laughs> <laughs> that was really why, why do you have really do we need to do we I'll need never to? forget that name <laughs> I know you won't she had the greenest greenest eyes and sort of like a like a <laughs> strawberry blonde hair uh well before we go too far down memory lane with you and your your uh wanton love life from second grade and Miss Lobertini she was my teacher she didn't wait for me I mean she was probably only like in her mid-20s at the time you know she was pretty hot too she didn't stick around and wait for me I had a crush on her any more? We'll give you 60 seconds. Mrs. Edelman, she was married, so I figured I didn't have a shot at her. She was my third grade teacher. But Miss Lobertini in the second grade was pretty hot. She didn't wait around. All right. Well, now that we've shared the wanton love life of the Greek, we'll go on to the always favorite part of the show. It's hard to color between the lines when you got all that on your mind. For some. I went to Catholic school, so it did make a difference. I had all nuns. Yeah, the nuns. Yeah, <laughs> there, was, there was nothing there. In fact, that's why I got it thrown out of fifth grade, because one day I asked the nuns, has there ever been an attractive nun? In you fifth you grade, asked the nun I, that? Yeah, I asked it in the middle of the class, and uh, she had no sense of humor. Um, so I was gone, and that was the last straw. It broke the camel's back. It was off to public school for me. Um, but anyway, uh, Greek, uh, our favorite time of the show, winners and losers. Uh <coughs> I, well, I, you I, want I, me to start? Go ahead. Okay, I'll start with the losers. I have two. The Cincinnati fan base and the Cincinnati Bengals, specifically Burfecht and Adams. Okay, you two thugs, you two trash players, I have, I have been fed up with it. I think, I think Burfecht got, a, got, a, got a, a gift of three-game suspension. I would have said that vicious, hideous, egregious hit that he put on on Pittsburgh and to the Cincinnati fans for throwing water bottles at at uh, Roethlisberger while he's being carted off absolutely no class you guys are the biggest losers the fans of Cincinnati perfect and Adams you're my big losers of the week but not to say that you're alone Hillary Clinton joins you too because Hillary Clinton just got found out that she was trying to teach her people how to cheat the system but they caught her. They caught her in black and white, in an email, more to come. My winners, I give the winner, you know who my winner of the week is? Clemson. I'll tell you what, Clemson played a heck of a football game. They did it classy. They did it, uh, as much as I hate the coach's name, if I hear that name one more time. Dabble. No, no, Dabble. no, no, Dabble no. Sweeney. Stop it, Okay. I give them my winner of the week because even though they lost the game, 
they won the hearts of a lot of people because uh, that was he's, a very he's, good. He's team got a great played. story too, and, and it's it's a great program. And hats off to Clemson. So those are my winners and losers for you, Greek. No, he, he it is a great story, and I and I don't mean to slight them when I give my winner, but um, the, when you when you look at the fact that what his mother struggled to go through, and, and the fact that she had to live with him when he was in college, mm-hmm. just because she was trying to make ends meet. So I don't want to take anything away from the great performance of Clemson, but you still have to recognize what the Southeastern Conference did this week. So uh, this is going to be my first repeat back-to-back winners, Alabama and the Southeastern Conference, for returning the national championship to its rightful owners, oh, the Southeastern Conference, please. who went 9-2 and two yes, yes, in the yes. bowl season. Yes, yes, and, yes. All right. And all right. Enough for your dominance. easy pulling the, pulling the fruit off the bottom <laughs> branch, all right? My, my loser this week is going to be something that is not going to affect the lives of very many people, but it affects the lives of some of the people we know. The New Orleans City Council, oh, yes, in their God. infinite wisdom, has jacked the price of parking up in the French Quarter to the point where the people who actually work down there can no longer afford to park down there. And they're being forced to park in satellite lots quite a ways from where they actually work. Now, folks, think about this. These are people in the service industry, restaurant and bars primarily. These people are getting off work with a pocket full of money and having to walk blocks to their cars. In the latest hours and early hours of early the morning. Early wee hours of the morning in a city that's, shall we say, not the safest. Yes. When you start to affect the people who are the ambassadors of your city, these are the, these are the faces, these are the people who come in contact with those people who go out back to their other parts of the country and relive their stories. When you, when you start to affect their attitudes, that's going to be contagious, and that's going to affect how people perceive that city. They have to work and do everything they can to make these people's jobs as best an experience as possible. City Council of New Orleans, you're a loser. I'll tell you what. City Council of New Orleans, you're a loser. First of all, you do the cigar ban. Then you turn around and you do this. You jack up the rates on parking in the city. Now, the only thing you've done that you can hang your hat on is we're getting the memori- those those dreadful Confederate memorials uh, moved. Okay, that's it. See, that's once again style over substance. And it doesn't benefit anyone in the long run. <clears throat> no, it does. Jackson Square. I mean, how, are you, how do you take down that iconic statue that is such a part of the history? My God, man, it's absolutely despicable. Whether, there you have it, my friends. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to another week of What's Your Point? I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Thanks to our special guest, Jay Austin, for stepping into the Bowtie Life. Had some great, great conversation with Jay. We're, I know we're going to have him back because he's, he's, he's a great guy to talk with. And, uh, Greek, uh, always great to be with you. We'll be back again next week. And, uh, you know, we thank you very much. We Thanks go to Lou, as always. Yep, and to our troops and our first responders. They are the reasons we enjoy the freedoms we have today. The price of freedom is never free. Until next week, my friends, God bless you all. God bless America. And God willing, it'll be a good debate tomorrow night. We'll see you next week on What's Your Point.